0: If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the first book in the Bible. We'll be in Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. Genesis chapter 6, and we will begin reading in verse 1. And last Sunday, we looked at an episode out of David's life, and in particular, we looked at his sin with Bathsheba. And while we could have stayed in that one text, and there was a lot of stuff we could have... We could have learned from that, and hopefully we did learn uh, something from it. I tried to frame that within the context of David's whole life, because the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, not because of sin like his one with Bathsheba, but rather in spite of it. And uh, we especially see his heart for God and his reaction to his sin. Now, last week I encouraged you sometime through the week to look at Psalm 51. Hopefully um, you remembered that after you got out the door. Uh, because Psalm 51 was a, uh, a a psalm that David wrote in response to his sin, where he pled with God and and uh, asked for mercy and and forgiveness. Now, today we're going to do something similar in the in the sense, and I figure we're going to do this the next few weeks. We're going to do what you might call a biographical sketch. We're going to get kind of a an overview of of the life of some of these biblical characters. I think that's helpful because sometimes we look at the Bible and, and, and if we just think about the Bible as a whole, we think about all these different characters in the Bible and we think of them like stained glass saints. And personally, I see people like Abraham and, and different people like that and, and his great faith. You remember he was, uh, for, for instance, his faith with, with, uh, with the, the sacrifice of Isaac and all that surrounded that. And he trusted that God would even bring him back from the dead if that's what needed to happen. And I look at people like that and I have a hard time relating to people like that. Because I look at my own life and I know they're, they're monsters of the faith, and I'm, my, my faith is very puny, is very weak. And so uh, sometimes I think we set them up on a pedestal like they never did anything wrong. But uh, the Bible shows us that these are, are real flesh and blood people. Some lived lives of faith, some, some uh, did not, but even the ones that did did not live it out perfectly. They had have, they have flaws, they had foibles, and, uh, and they failed, and it was a very imperfect faith, just like ours. So today I want us to focus on Noah, and when we think about Noah, there's probably just one thing that you think of, and that is the ark. Now that is a huge part of Noah's Noah's life, it's a huge uh, event in world history and biblical history, but that's actually not what we're going to focus on today, we're going to focus on Noah walking with God. Now we are going to read the whole chapter, so it is going to be kind of a, a lengthy section, but I think there's some things that we can learn out of this. Um, to, to to help us today. So if you found Genesis chapter 6 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 1 and read down through the end of the chapter. It said, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his day shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. The Lord looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window from the ark, uh, window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which there is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to see in our text today the first is the courage of Noah I want you to see his courage now now to help us understand how courageous this man was we need to understand the world in which he lived and we're going to actually spend a big chunk of our time looking at the world that, that Noah lived in because uh, that will help us to see just how courageous this man was and remember back in the Garden of Eden God had blessed Adam and Eve he had he blessed them. He had told them to be fruitful and multiply. And, and their job was, to, was to, to, for them and their offspring to fill and subdue the earth. That was, their, that was their whole role. They were to have dominion over the earth. But that's not all that happened in the garden because Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They ate that which was forbidden to them. They, 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 they sinned against God. They, they decided to do their own thing instead of doing what God had said. And because of that, sin entered the world. And sin not only affected our first parents, but everybody who is descended from Adam is, a, is affected by sin in all parts of our, of our being. So all of our deeds, all of our thoughts, all of our, all of our motivations, every part of us is affected by sin. Now that's, that's true today, that was true back in the biblical times. So then you look at chapter 6, the world is being populated by sinners just like us. So Adam and Eve are, are, being, are, are being obedient to this command to, to be fruitful and multiply. All these kids are being born to them, kids and grandkids and so forth. And, and, and that's really about the only positive thing in chapter 6, at least the first part of it. Now if you look at verses 1 through 4, those first four verses have all kinds of, of subject for discussion and debate that have, that have happened throughout the centuries and we're not going to get off in the weeds on that today. But I want you to notice the the description in those verses and then verses 7 and following of the world into which Noah was born. Look at verse 3. I want you to see two things out of it. Verse 3 says, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his day shall be 120 years. So first, we see that God sets a limit to mankind's time on earth. He sets a limit to man's time on earth. Now, now he has endured their sin. He has been long-suffering through the centuries, through the millennia, towards their sin. He, is not, he, he had every right to wipe them out a long time before this, but he's not. But even now, he makes this announcement of what he's going to do, but yet he, he withholds for over a century before he actually brings it about. That is an act of grace. He's extending even more time for them to repent. But notice how mankind is described in verse 3. It says, He is also flesh. He is also flesh. Now, when we use the term flesh, we usually talk about part of our body, and the Bible does use the, Bible, the, the word flesh in that way sometimes, but it also uses it like it's doing now, and, and that is to speak of our base desires, our base uh, just that, that lifestyle that is only uh, that, that that only uh, focuses on being gratified. It, the, the person who is fleshly, their God is not the God of the Bible. Their God is their appetite. The person who is fleshly only thinks about today. They only think about, uh, they don't think about eternity. They don't think about the afterlife. They don't think about God. All they think of is me, me, me. They, they just want to get all they can and can all they get. Now, I want you to to, to notice, and you might jot this down if, if you write in your Bible or write on your bulletin, Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 and 38. Now, of course, Matthew is the New Testament, and the reason I mention this is because Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah before the flood, that's the way it's going to be when Jesus comes back, when the Son of Man returns. And then he describes what that was like and what it will be like whenever he returns. Here's what he says. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Now listen, none of those things is bad. It's not bad to get married. It's not bad to eat. It's not bad to drink. It's not not bad to do any of those things. But listen, it is the height of foolishness to refuse to prepare for that which you know is going to happen. If you know that something will happen, you need to prepare for it. Somebody said that there are only two things that are sure in life. What are they? Death and taxes. And you better prepare for both of them. Because yes, the tax man cometh, but guess what? The death man cometh too. The undertaker's going to carry you out one day. And, and you, better be, you better be ready for that because one day you will stand before God. Now they knew that. They knew that they would die. But they refused to prepare. All they thought about was today. All they thought about was, was what was right in front of them. Now there are many today who could be described in this same way. They only live for self. They only live for the moment. They don't think about God. They don't think about eternity. They don't think about their death. They don't think about any of those things. All they think of is what's right in front of them. But listen, verse, it gets worse than that because look at verse 5. And again, if you mark in your Bible, here, here are some things I would recommend you, you, you underline or circle or put a square around or something because look at verse 5 and notice these significant words. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man here here's the first one was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually what an indictment for humanity god says everything that, that, that's being done not it, it's all these things are evil every all day every day the world is corrupt and notice that he doesn't just say that the things are bad. It says the the, the wickedness of man is great. That means it's it's overflowing. It's it's abundant. And notice it's not just the acts that are evil. Because we can look. I've, I'm about given up watching the news, because I it's I, I can't even have it on with the kids around because there's so much stuff on there that's that's, that's terrible, that I, you just can't even hardly watch it. If they had news back then, they'd have to be turned. They, they should have turned the news off but they wouldn't because they didn't care if their kids were exposed to these things things were bad and it wasn't just the acts that were bad notice what it says it says every intent of the thoughts of the heart every without exception the thought in seed form the intent of the thought the germ of the thought, the intent when they were fixing to think even that was bad it was going astray And it wasn't just, again, it wasn't just the acts, but the thoughts, the plans, their schemes, the things they dwelt on in their hearts. The Bible says, was only evil continually. Notice those words, only continually. That was what they thought about all day, every day, without fail, without exception. What an indictment. And the world was filled with people whose whole life was focused on doing what felt good, no thought about God, no thought about consequences. They just did whatever was right in their own eyes. And if you'll, if you'll notice, as you read down through the first six chapters, there's no report of government. Now say what you will about the governing authorities, the, the, the fact is indisputable that laws and punishment deter crime. Now I know that none of you would probably ever strangle somebody. But you probably work with somebody that if if you knew that you wouldn't go to prison, you might think about it. You'd just wring their necks, right? You wouldn't choke them till dead, but just about, maybe until their head pops off and you can put it back on. I mean, you, you're just ready, right? You're just, boy, you'd send them to the moon. If you wouldn't, if you wouldn't kill them, you'd at least you know, slap them upside the head real good. But you know, if you did that, you'd get a fine, you get get a T, you'd go to jail, whatever it is. Now, I know you guys are all nice. You wouldn't do that. But you probably work with somebody that you know would. Or you know have somebody in your family that would. But you just think about this. Just imagine living in a world where everybody, all they think about is doing wrong, doing bad, doing evil. And there are no punishments. There's no government. There are no police. There are no judges. There are no fines. There are no jails. There's no death penalty. No, no nothing. Everybody just does what they want they do what's right in their own eyes that's the world into which noah was born and if you look at verses seven and following look at how the world is described um, sorry not not verse uh, not verse seven it's uh, where was that well i'm I'm not seeing it here oh verse eleven it says that the the earth was corrupt and the the wording there has the idea of of, of like putrefaction it, it, it was it was going bad it's like i mean we're, we're getting into the summer and it's getting hot you just think about going on the road and you see the the, the 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 buzzer down the road you know what's happened right somebody done hit something and sometimes you go by and it's like whoa, that's bad that was a picture of the earth it was corrupt it was defiled and it was filled with violence it was filled with violence that's what verse 11 says. You couldn't go downtown without getting mugged. People beat you up. They'd they murder you. It, they, it, it, was, it was a bad time to be alive. And in contrast to that, look at verse 9. On the scene comes Noah. He's born into this terrible environment. But look at verse 9. Three things are said of him. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. First, it says he was a righteous man. Your Bible may say that he was just. That word just or righteous means that he, he had a right standing before God. And that came out in the way that he lived. Now, how does a person get right before God? Well, the same way back then as he do today, and that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, but this is Genesis. This isn't the Gospels, that's true. The Old Testament, they look forward to the cross, we look back to the cross. And so he didn't have as full of pictures as what we have, because more and more is revealed by God in the Word of God about Jesus, about the Son of God. But these Old Testament saints looked ahead, and they, they, they trusted in what they, what they knew. So how much did they know? Well, we don't know for sure all that, all that they know, or knew, but even back in the Garden of Eden, what did God say? Remember in Genesis chapter 3? God had, he had cursed Adam and Eve and the serpent. And even in that curse, He foretells of, of the seed of the woman who had come and bruised the head of the serpent. The, the, the Bible talks about uh, there, there was some form of sacrificial system that was instituted by God. You remember Adam and Eve, they realized they were naked. And what did, what did God do? He provided them... Clothing from an animal. Animals don't give up their hides willingly. What happened? It was killed. It was sacrificed. And that is a picture of of us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We also see it in in Cain and Abel. You remember Abel brought of his flocks for sacrifice. Cain brought the fruit of of of, of, of the ground. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. There was some sacrificial system set up in in some form or another that pointed ahead to the Messiah. There was the preaching of Noah's great-grandfather Enoch. Jude tells us that Enoch preached to the wicked people in his generation. That was was Noah's great-grandpa. We see in verse 3 that God's Spirit was striving with man. He was enlightening their minds. He was convincing them of sin, convicting them of of their sin and, and the coming judgment. So while Noah didn't have as full of a picture as we have, he trusted in the coming Messiah. And he was just, he was righteous before God. It also says he was blameless in his time, or you might say in his generations. And the word used here has the idea of being unblemished. It was used of sacrifices that that were without spot. He was unblemished. He he was unspotted, unstained by the world. He kept himself uh, apart from the world. And finally it says that he walked with God. He, he communed with him. He, he, he went with the Lord on, his daily, on, on a daily basis. Now, he, he was morally upright, you might say. Now, now, we've spent a lot of time on the environment in which he was living, the environment in which he was born. And I wanted to do that because I want you to see how dark it was so that whenever you see his courage, you understand how courageous it really was. Because, and we discussed this in, in Sunday school, we, we in America have been very fortunate because Christianity has been kind of the default. And so there's not been really a societal cost. But that's all it was in Noah's day. Everything that you did, if it, if it was righteous, it would have put you on the radar screen. And yet he was a courageous man. Everything around him pressured him to conform. But he refused. He lived... A holy life. And one example of this is when we feel like we're the only ones that are Christians. Maybe, maybe you work in a job where, where you look around and everybody is, is doing all kinds of, of stuff, talking all kinds of way, telling all kinds of jokes. They're living it up. They're sleeping around. They're getting drunk every every weekend, every night. There, there's there's all, they're not giving any thought to God. And that's, what, that's the environment you find yourself in. And it may feel like I'm the only one, and maybe you are. Maybe it's like that in your family. Maybe it's like that on your team. Maybe it's like that in, in your class. You feel like you're the only one, and you might be. But so was Noah. And it wasn't just the people at work. It was the whole world was like that and yet he stood for god he was courageous now we're going to hit the next couple things very quickly again because i want you to, to to see again keep the darkness of the world in which he lived as the backdrop to to not only his courage but also the second thing his faith his faith now noah lived by faith you say well how do you know that well if you turn over, and you don't have to do this, but if sometime you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it's the faith chapter. It's the hall of faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, there are all kinds of people listed that lived a life of faith. They followed God despite the odds. And one of the people that mention, that is mentioned is Noah. In particular, it says that by faith, Noah, guess what he did? He built the ark. By faith, Noah built the ark. Now, this ties into what James says in the New Testament. You remember, he says that we can claim to have faith all that we want. But what does he say proves your faith? Your works. It's not not your words in which your faith is seen. It's your works. We're saved by faith alone, but by a faith that is not alone. Good works come with our faith. Now some have tried to put faith over here and works over here and put them in opposition to each other but they're not in opposition. They're, they're sisters. They're sisters that actually get along. They are, they are two sides of the same coin. They are faith and works. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them another way God didn't save you to sit he saved you to serve he didn't save you to to to, to, to be he saved you to be salt but not in a salt shaker he said you're not salt of the church where are you you're salt of the earth you need to go out into the world and do these good works so that people may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven now you look at you look at Noah and yes he had faith to build the ark, but understand, he would have looked foolish because there were no storm clouds in the sky when he was hammering those nails in. He was out there, as far as we know, it appears from what is said earlier in the book of Exodus, or of Genesis, that it, at this point in history, it maybe hadn't even rained, much less there had been a worldwide deluge. And yet he believed God, and he did something about it. He acted on it. Now, knowing what we just talked about with the world that that Noah was living in, all the corruption, all the violence, all the scorn, all all that stuff, can you imagine how foolish they thought he was? Can you imagine their response of the mocking, of the scorn, maybe of vandalism? And yet, he believed God and he did something about it. And maybe, maybe that's what you need to do. you, you sense that God is leading you in some way. Maybe you need to act on what you feel that God is leading you to. Maybe you've read something in the Word and you know this is what God says and you need to act on that. Put your faith into practice. Put, put some shoe leather on your faith. So we have his courage, we have his faith and the last thing I want you to see about his life is his He was steadfast. He was steadfast. Now if you'll notice again verse 3 it says that God gave them 120 years. He said I'm going to destroy the earth and then he put it on hold for 120 years. What was Noah doing for that time frame? Well obviously one thing he was doing was building the ark. It'd take a while to do that when you don't have a big construction crew. But he wasn't just building the ark. And we know that because Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. 120 years. Can you imagine 120 years of preaching? He, he declared God's will. He spoke to the evil of his generation. He warned them about the judgment to come. He, he was doing all this for 120 years. Now, it would be one thing if he was out there preaching and and every every day or two there was a huge response. You know, 3,000 souls get saved or or something like that. And it's possible that that some people in that amount of time had believed before the flood came, but there's no indication in Scripture that that actually happened. In fact, there's every indication in, in Scripture that nobody believed except his family. Because how many people were on the ark? Eight. Noah, Mrs. Noah, Ham, Shem, Japheth, and their wives. That was it. Can you imagine 120 years of preaching and the only people that get on the boat with you is your family? Your immediate family. Not even your, not even your, your nieces and nephews and cousins. Not even your grandkids. Just your spouse, your kids, and their, their wives. That's it. And yet, he kept doing it. He kept preaching. He was faithful. He was steadfast. And I think that's an encouragement because, just, just to bring it down, sometimes, I think here in the church, sometimes I think we discourage because of our size sometimes. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I love the fellowship. I love that it's, it's, it's a close-knit body. But sometimes I think we look around and say, you know, here we are out here on top of a hill in rural Missouri, You know, we're our closest town has, according to the sign, 170 some people, and I think that's probably counting a couple of the chickens and mice. I mean, Halltown is not exactly a metropolitan area, there's not a lot of people around, and sometimes we, we labor, we work, we sow seeds, and sometimes we don't see a lot of results. But one encouragement Noah's example is to us, he didn't see any results for over a century and I think this should inspire us collectively as a church but as well individually we need to continue our stand for the Lord maybe it's, maybe it's in the marketplace of ideas maybe it's at work wherever it is in the family we need, to, we need to be steadfast and we need to put our faith into action live courageously even in the midst and especially in the midst of a wicked world And I, I, I just wonder, what is the one thing you need to focus on the most in your life? Which of those three things, which which of those three areas is your weakest spot? Is it your courage, your faith, or your faithfulness? Pray that God would help you in that area. And maybe the lesson that you need to learn is, is from the people that... Did not respond positively to the message of God. These people gave no thought to God. They rejected Him. They rejected the message of God. They rejected the messenger of God. Now, listen God has has promised never to destroy the earth through flood again. So you're not going to stand before your Maker because you died in a worldwide flood like they did. But the fact of the matter is, you will one day stand before your Maker. It may be through a car accident. Maybe be due to illness. It may just be because you got old and died. None of us are going to live forever. And it is the height of foolishness to know something's going to happen but not prepare for it. Now you know something's going to happen and that something is death. So you need to be prepared. You need to be ready to stand before God. And the way that you do that is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Why do you stand with me as musicians come. As you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, again, I want you to, to consider which of those three areas... Is your weak spot? You might say, well, Pastor, I'm pretty strong in all three of them. But which is your weakest? Do you sometimes give in to those pressures to go along, to get along? To compromise in some area? Do you struggle with obedience? Then the Bible, at the end of chapter six, it says that this is what God said. Thus Noah did. God said it, Noah did it. Or maybe your issue is with being steadfast. You, uh, your your faith is wavering. You've gotten discouraged. You've about given up. being encouraged by Noah's example. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us to be more like Noah in these positive aspects. And Lord, we know that as as godly of a man as he was, he was not perfect. We know later on he, he made some blunders in life. And that serves as a warning to us. But God, I pray that whichever these three areas we, we struggle in, I pray that you'd help us all to get better, to get stronger. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's just living for today, they are, as the people in the days of Noah were termed, they, they're flesh, they're fleshly. They, they don't think about their appetites and pleasure, no thought of eternity. God, if somebody today is hearing me, that describes, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and let them become your child. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.